Let's pray together for a moment. Lord, we thank you this morning as we come to the scriptures. We pray that you would open them to us. You would open us to them. Holy Spirit, come and speak for your people are listening. We pray, Lord, that you would lead us to Jesus. It is in his name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Well, we are continuing in our His Story sermon series. We're working our way this fall through the Old Testament. We're still in the book of Genesis. We've seen over the last few weeks the story of Abraham, God working through Abraham to set apart a people for God's special purposes. Now, last Sunday we were in Genesis 22. This week we're in Genesis 45, so there's a big uh, leap we've taken, and, and I'll bring you up on sort of the backstory that gets us into the pinnacle of Joseph's life. Let me let me start by saying this about Joseph. He is one of really there's so many important characters in Scripture, but Joseph's way up there near the top because in his life, in many ways, we see the gospel long before the gospel of Jesus Christ. We see in Joseph. Two things that are critical for us to learn if we're to be God's people in this world. And they're this. Joseph shows us how to forgive. Everybody say, how to forgive. And Joseph also shows us how to live. Say, how to live. So forgive and live. Forgive and live. See, they rhyme. That'll help you to remember them. How to forgive and how to live. So let me set it up. Okay. God has made promises to Abraham that he's going to have descendants. And these descendants are going to be as numerous as the stars in the sky. These are going to be physical descendants, the people of Israel. But they're also going to be spiritual descendants, people who have faith in God. And and God's going to give Abraham a land. And God is also going to bless all the nations of the world through Abraham and through his descendants. That's the promise that's given. It's called a covenant, an unbreakable promise that God has given, that God says, I will be the one who sees this through. It's going to happen. Now, Abraham, we heard, had a son named Isaac. Isaac had two sons, Esau and Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons who became the heads of the 12 tribes of Israel, and the 11th son was Joseph. That's the star of the story today. Joseph is the 11th son of his father, Jacob. Now, you might remember some of his story if you remember back to your Sunday school days, or maybe you read it this week in anticipation. But just in case you don't know his story, let me bring you up to speed. Because where we pick up with Joseph is far into his life. Joseph was the favorite son. He was daddy's boy. And not only was he daddy's boy, but but to the extent that all the other brothers became very jealous of the special relationship that these two had. You might remember Joseph had that amazing technicolor dream coat. Actually, it doesn't say that in the text. He's got a robe of many colors, but you might have seen the play or the musical. Now, Joseph is given by God an ability to to dream and to interpret dreams. And at the age of 17, being, you know, young and not as wise as perhaps... Well, he's about the right wisdom spot for a 17-year-old. 
He started, exactly. He starts, she must have a 17 year old. He starts having dreams. And in these dreams, two in particular, he dreams that his brothers are going to one day bow down to him and that his whole family, he'll be the ruler over them. Now, how do you think that went over with his jealous brothers? Not so good. Yeah, not real well. In fact, not only did they get jealous, but they hated him and they want to kill him. Now, reason gets the better of them. They decide, well, instead of killing him, we'll just sell him into slavery. And off he gets sold. They tell a lie to their father. He's been killed. And suddenly you have in the family a secret sin. We're going to come back to that in a little bit. It's very important. Now, once in Egypt, as a slave, God blesses him. His life is growing. He honors God in what he does. You see the blessing of God on him, and yet he suffers anyway. So much so that he's accused of rape wrongfully, and he ends up in prison. And yet even in prison, God's blessing is with him. God begins to give him again the ability to interpret dreams. Eventually, that gift winds him uh, in the palace. He comes before Pharaoh, who's had these tremendous dreams, and Joseph interprets those dreams. There will be seven years of incredible plenty and seven years of outstanding, radical famine. And Joseph counsels the Pharaoh, you need to prepare. Prepare now for those years that are coming. Pharaoh raises him up to be second in command of all of Egypt. And Joseph wisely begins to store away. He puts a plan and a strategy in place. Where we pick up in our story today, two years into the famine, the world is being devastated in a pandemic. Well, a famine, but they kind of are linked together in the scriptures. So it's not a time so unlike what the world is going through right now. It's a time of radical distress. It's a time of global uncertainty and people are dying. That's how Joseph's brothers end up down in Egypt, and they come to Joseph. That's where our text picks up in verse 3. It's what you might call the big reveal. Now remember, Joseph, they hadn't seen for 22 years. He's been raised up in Egypt. He looks like an Egyptian. He's speaking as an Egyptian. He's talking through interpreters. But eventually, he reveals himself to his brothers. And this is what he says in verse 3. I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. Yeah, you think? I mean, it's like they're seeing a ghost. Right? It's as though he's come back from the dead, and here he is in front of them. And guess what? They panic. They're shocked. They're terrified because their secret sin has come with them. They have been found out. They sold him into slavery. They've been covering it up. Their life has been shaped by it. They've done everything in their power to avoid this thing being known. And guess what? It's now standing right in front of them. It's always looming. That's the way secret sin works. And I suspect, because you're all from families, and families are full of sinful people, that you could even have in your family, perhaps in your life, a secret sin that's been smoldering for many years. This is very close to the heart of where so many people live. At any moment, that secret sin can be found out. There's a pressure that people live under when that goes on. There's an angst that tends to deaden the heart. And even when you get away from it for a while, it's always there about to go off. 
I remember hearing a story that was uh, followed by ABC News some years ago. And they were, they were telling uh, the story of this art exhibit, modern art exhibit. And the way this exhibit worked was that there was a chair that had been set up and it was affixed to a shotgun and the shotgun was loaded. And the way the art exhibit worked is that people would come and they would sit in the chair and they would look down the barrel of the loaded shotgun. Now, here's the thing. A timer had been set on this shotgun to go off at some point randomly over the course of the next hundred years. And so as these people sat in the chair looking into that loaded shotgun at any moment, it could go off. The people stood in line that stretched all the way around the building to sit in that chair, to look down the barrel of the gun, gambling that the fatal blast wouldn't happen during their short minute or so in that chair. Now that's crazy, right? I mean, that's, that's, that's crazy. And, and yet... There are people who wouldn't dream of sitting in that chair who live a lifetime gambling with secret sin. That it's not going to go off. It's not going to be found out. It's not going to come home to roost. You might be doing that even now. When Joseph revealed himself to his brothers, it had to have felt to them like the shotgun blast going off. I mean, they're dead to rights. They're completely busted. They're red-handed. They've been caught. And they're terrified because what do they deserve? Justice. What do they deserve? Punishment. Vengeance would be entirely normal and natural and appropriate for them to experience. And they've got the second most powerful guy in the entire world standing there, and they've sinned against him. Their lives are in his hands. But as they're shaking there in fear, as they're cowering under the sin that is suddenly exposed, what they don't know yet is this. Joseph's life has been radically shaped by God. God has been at work. God has been shaping their brother. God has been doing a work in him that would prepare him for this moment. He's been humbled. He's been shaped. He's grown in godliness. And that has led Joseph to forgive them. Everybody say forgive. Yes. Here's how you know he's forgiven. At the beginning of verse 4, it says, So Joseph said to his brothers, Come near to me, please. He doesn't banish them. He beckons them. He doesn't terrify them. He's tender to them. He doesn't punish them. He pardons them. And instead of lashing out at them, what he begins to do is lavish love upon them. 1 John 4.18 says this, perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. See, there's nothing in Joseph that wants them to be afraid of him at this point. That's because he's done the work before they've ever arrived. Do you remember when, when Mother Emmanuel went on? Of course you do if you've been around here for a while. What startled the world was as, as people were interviewed, the first thing that they did was they spoke words of forgiveness over Dylan Roof. He has devastated me. He has harmed me. And yet I forgive you. 
Now, that work had been going on in them for many years. You don't just start there. That's a lifetime of learning how to forgive and how to be godly. We see that happening here in Joseph. There's no bitterness in him, right? If there were bitterness in him, think about what bitter people do. They try to intimidate you. They try to rub it in. They put shame, toxic, toxic shame. They like to get even, don't they? That's what bitter people do. And maybe you've experienced this in your own life. You made a mistake. You blew it. But instead of receiving forgiveness, that bitter person in your life has never let you live it down. Maybe you've been the bitter person. Constantly looking for opportunities to let them know what they did, what they did, what they did, never letting them off the hook. You don't see that in Joseph. He's not rubbing any salt into the wounds here. What he does is he looks to set his brothers free. And notice how he does it. He starts by speaking the truth. That's always what has to happen when there's secret sin. When there's any sin, truth has to come. Verse 4, he said, I'm your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. He's not in denial. He's not covering it over. He's not sweeping it under the rug. He's not pretending it didn't happen. He just names it. He names it before them. That means he's owned the pain and he's worked through it. He's speaking the truth to them. He confronts them, but not for vengeance. He's allowing them to look. He's allowing them to experience their guilt in a healthy way. They've been under shame. They've been under condemnation. But now he's bringing to them the healthy thing that God gives us when we've broken the law, when we have done wrong. He's letting them feel the guilt. You know, you know why a lot of people never really come to a deep relationship with God is because they've been unwilling to sit under the guilt of their sin and to own it, and to own it before God. Not hiding it or justifying it or, or writing it away, but just simply, oh, yes, this is true. It's true about me. So he doesn't condemn them. He confronts them with truth. But he wants to move them out of that place of guilt. He doesn't want to leave them wallowing in shame. He wants to set them free. Verse 5, he says, Now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. That's the fruit of forgiveness. He wants them to enter into forgiveness, and he wants them to forgive themselves. That's so powerful. And I, I suspect there are a few in this room, maybe even those online today, who have never forgiven yourself. And week in and week out, you hear the words of God's forgiveness for you, but because you've never forgiven yourself, the emotional life never catches up with what he's done for you. And you just stay bogged down and locked up. Joseph wants them to forgive themselves because he's already forgiven them. And God wants you to be in that place too. He has forgiven you. He wants you to forgive yourself. Basically, he says, the sin is real, 
but I've let it go. I've forgiven you. I want you free. He shows us how to forgive and how to receive forgiveness. So that's the first thing that his life does for us. But there's something else, and this is equally important. If you're going to walk out life in a world that's fallen and broken, you've got to learn how to live. And we see that in the rest of his story. What he recognizes is that history, everybody say history, history. is really his story. They'll put that one on me. See, at the heart of Joseph's faith, he recognizes that behind everything that's happening is God. God is the unseen hand guiding what's going on around him. Listen to the words starting at verse 5. Now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here, for God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will neither be plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep you alive, uh, to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. There's a theological word here that we need to know, and it's the word providence. Everybody say providence. I, I have you say that because you don't hear that in everyday language in our culture. Our culture talks about dumb luck and fate and coincidence. But for the people of God, there are no coincidences. There are only God incidences. There's no coincidence in your life. There are God incidences that play out because of his providence. Now, it's crucial that we settle in our hearts what Joseph knows, that this world is not spinning out of control, that even when times are chaotic, there is a God overseeing all things. There is an overarching meta-narrative moving in a direction History is not bound to just repeat itself over and over and over again. God is working out good for his people. The New Testament says it this way in Romans chapter 8. And we know that for those who love God, for those who love him, for those who are called according to his purpose, all things work together for good. Now, when you understand the providence of God, it allows you to live through the two things you'll face in this life, good times and bad times. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, let's start with the good times. When you know that the providence of God is working, you begin to recognize that who you are and what you've done and what you've experienced, the blessings, that's not your own doing alone. It'll keep you from becoming proud. It'll, it'll keep you in a place of humbleness before God. The circumstances of your life, the blessings of your life, the gifts you have been given, all of those things are from God. He has been shaping and moving your story. And when you understand that, you can live well in good times because it'll make you grateful. and It'll make you offer back to God all that you have. It's all from you. We're going to say that in a little while. All that I am and all that I have is yours, God. It's yours. 
Do with it what you will. That'll help you in the good times. But God's providence also helps you in the bad times. Because the temptation when things are going bad, when life is hard, when suffering is there, when pain is real, when sorrow is your companion, is that you think that somehow God has left you and you're tempted to get despondent. The questions that surface in the bad times are often why questions. Why are you doing this to me, God? Why are you allowing this to happen? Why, 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 why? If you understand that God's hand is with you, shaping even the bad things for your good, it'll allow you to rest with him and and to shift your question from why to what? What are you showing me, God? What do you want me to learn? It'll shift it to a how question. How do you want me to live out what's happening all around me? This is so important for us right now in the midst of a global pandemic where there are people all over the place, even in churches, accusing God, blaming each other. I hear very few Christians asking, wonder what God's doing in all of this, in the political messes we've been going through, in the pandemic. Maybe God is trying to show us that our love is pretty shallow. Maybe he's trying to get us to a place where we repent. We say we love God. Well, to the extent that you love your enemies, that's what Jesus told us, really shows you how you love God. Maybe God's putting up a mirror for our good so that we'll repent and be restored to the Lord and we'll become a people who then can offer ourselves freely, even to our enemies, to those who've done wrong to us. Now let me wrap all this up. Oh, I could go on for weeks on Joseph. And you're like, it feels that way, Chris. (laughs) No, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. (laughs) I'm just having fun. Let's think about how he points us to Jesus. Joseph is sent ahead in order to bring about the salvation of others. Galatians 4 tells us, in the fullness of time, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to rescue those who live under the law, so that he might take us and not make us slaves to fear, but make us children of God. See, Joseph is a type for Jesus. He's a pointer. He's an Old Testament picture to help us see the New Testament fulfillment that God does not let your sin and my sin be the barrier to relationship with him. He deals with it. He takes it on himself and he forgives. Have you stepped into the full forgiveness of God for you? Not only of those long ago sins, those shame-based places, those hidden things, but of the everyday variety that causes you to be at disease within yourself to not be at peace in the goodness and mercy of the God who loves you radically and powerfully. Joseph said, come near to me, please. Jesus says, come, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. His desire is that you would know him. His desire is that you would live in the goodness of God. Ah. Think of the other ways that he points us to Jesus. Joseph was dead figuratively and came back to life. 
Jesus died literally and was raised from the dead. Joseph was raised up to the right hand of the Pharaoh. Jesus has ascended to the right hand of God Almighty. Joseph had all authority in Egypt. Jesus has all authority in heaven and earth. Joseph went ahead to prepare a place. And Jesus has gone ahead of you and me to prepare a place for us in heaven. It took Joseph and God at work 22 years to prepare that place for them. And it was remarkable. It was lavish. They were blessed beyond their imagination and they thrived as a nation. Jesus has been preparing a place for you and me for 2,000 years. How extraordinary do you think it's going to be? How lavish and remarkable will it be to be feasting in the house of the God of the universe who calls you his daughter, who says you're my son, who has made the way through Jesus? It's going to be remarkable. And until that day when he restores all things, we can live in the providence of God. We can trust and rest and walk with him every day of our lives. Because the God who has called you is faithful. That's why you're here today. Because he's been faithful to you all these years. Let's praise him today. As we continue our worship, let's honor him. As we raise our voices and we let our hearts soar, let's marvel in the providence and the goodness of God. Let's forgive and let's live. Let's pray. Oh Lord, you are so good. Your word is so powerful. And I thank you. I see you at work in us today. Thank you, Lord, for the ways in which you're drawing our hearts deeper into your love. Though we deserve vengeance, you give us forgiveness. You don't let our sins stop us, but you take it upon yourself in the cross. And so, Lord, let the goodness of that grace settle into us so that we might live freely before you. We pray this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.